Dead Space, I think aside from the game we're making now, it's probably the most fun I've had making a video game. The first demo that we showed to the studio. Mm -hmm. So we've been working on it about a year. I think it was a team of about between 15 or 20. We put together one 15 minute piece of gameplay. No one really knew what we had been working on. No one knew if it was gonna be interesting or not. I kind of felt like we had a little bit of an ax over us at, at all times. Like this project could go away at any moment, you know, if people weren't interested. We had a studio all hands meeting at EA at the headquarters at Redwood Shores. 400 people in an auditorium. We showed the 15 minutes. We got a standing ovation. It was just like everyone was just blown away by it. And then that experience repeated itself every six months. Every six months we'd show up in front of the studio, show a little bit more, show something cool. And we became the game that everyone wanted to work on. It was this groundswell of support in the studio among the other developers. I just remember the first one we did where we all kind of looked at each other and went, cool, like people are digging this, this is awesome. Game development is an incredible job and also an incredible challenge. More than anything, it's about problem solving, tackling one issue after another. It's about rising to the occasion, persevering through an endless list until you get it right. Welcome to Rise Above, an original podcast series by Ascendant Studios, where we share insights and inspirations from industry-leading creators, including some of our incredible staff here at Ascendant. My name is Tess, and I'll be your host. After years of being a Twitch streamer, I joined Descendant to learn what it's like to make games. There's so much that I love about video games, and after being on the inside, I've seen firsthand how incredible the people are who make them. With this podcast, I get to share with you candid conversations about what I'm learning and the talented people I've met. We'll hear their origin stories, the challenges they've experienced, and how they've persevered. Each episode explores how these industry leaders rise above. This is our pilot episode, and just like when creating games, creating a podcast has its own challenges that we'll be working through to create the best show possible. Let us know what you think so we can grow and improve the show together. It's the season of top 10 lists, so it's only fitting that we bring on the man working on his 10th major video game. Brett Robbins has taken 10 titles from Post-It to Published, including unforgettable journeys like Dead Space and Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3. His career has taken him from the depths of space to the epicenter of gaming's biggest franchise. That effort, creativity, collaboration, fear, and cross fingers all helped him become a master of his craft. For game number 10, Brett is working on his ultimate project, his own game at his own studio. He's the founder, CEO, and game director of Ascendant Studios, bringing to life an original AAA game, and he's having fun doing it. In today's podcast, we'll take a look at what got Brett to this point and what it took to rise above. Brett, thank you so much for taking the time today. After 26 years in our industry, what project stands out the most? The game we're working on now is by far my most favorite just because it's my own studio and 
my own game idea and, and something original, which I'm super excited about. So that's number one by far. The game I'm working on now is my 10th game. And on each of those projects, it was from like paper design to ship. So I wasn't, you know, coming in at the last three months or anything. On each of those 10, including this one, which is a 10th, it was right from the start. What's the game going to be? How we're going to do it all the way to ship. So out of those 10, aside from the current one, first one that comes to mind is Dead Space, the original Dead Space back in, we started it in 2006. So it's going back a ways. But that was a great, great experience because it was the first time I was able to, and my team was able to create something from scratch, blank page, being able to just make up a game together, make it be an original IP. And that was a great experience. It remains one of the most fun games I ever worked on. Working on a game can sometimes not be too fun because it's a lot of hard work. So Space seems like it became a creative foundation for your next games, and it's now the awesome inspiration for the Dead Space remake. What's it like to see your 14-year-old game reborn? It was interesting watching the trailer because I had heard it was a reimagining or something. I thought it would be different, but it, w- it, it looked like it was exactly some of the rooms and the spaces and the moments from the original game. And I remember making all those, yeah. you know, I, I'm looking at rooms and I'm like, oh yeah, the centrifuge room that I designed. Cool. That's in there. That moment of cut off your limbs, you know, is something I had them put in because we had to start getting this message across. It brought back a lot of moments in a good way because they're good memories. It was a lot of fun making that game. I think aside from the game we're making now, it's probably the most fun I've had making a video game, bringing back those memories and everything and seeing it looking good, looking you know, next gen. It's pretty awesome. Immersion in games took a big step with your original Dead Space, and the remake seems to be following in those same footsteps, just like so many other favorite games. How did you do that? We benefited from setting the whole game on that one ship. Uh, and there's like a you know, one level that doesn't, but most of them all take place in that ship. So you got a, a certain consistency, which made the world feel a little more real because we could have consistent rules around the art and around the design and everything. We didn't have like a huge budget, so it, it helped us a lot on the art budget where you're not trying to create all these different biomes. You're just sort of doing kind of different flavors of the same base coat of paint. That was helpful for sure. Building something that's cohesive and critically acclaimed didn't come easily. What kind of challenges did you face when building Dead Space from the ground up? Looking back, did you ever have any doubts? Yeah, I mean, I think the doubt, it was pervasive throughout the whole project in terms of making the game scary. Getting horror right, it's difficult because it comes sort of at the end of the process. Like it's not scary until you've got the lighting and the audio and, you know, the the pacing figured out and all the kind of final pieces you would normally do in a video game. You need all those in place before it's scary. So like the game wasn't scary for a very long time. (laughs) And that's concerning when you're making a horror game. Like, well, is this even going to be scary at all? And 
we knew the combat was good mm -hmm. and we knew that just the general feel of playing it like the exploration and the things jumping out at you and everything like it, it felt intense but is it like scary and then it wasn't until like we were polishing the game that really came online and then we started focus testing it we found people getting freaked out which was great another funny thing about it i remember this was a, a real surprise we started doing full game playthroughs around alpha or whatever and i got really worried because the game was really short it was like super short mm. i was like the game's too small. People are going to blast through this. But what I totally didn't realize was that was us playing all the time and we knew the game and we just run through it and blast all the enemies and get to the next part and everything. When I saw people play it for the first time for real, mm -hmm. they moved slow. They were creeping around every corner and like worried about stuff, taking it so slowly that I'm like, oh, wow, this is actually a big, long experience if you play it that way, which is how you should play it. It makes sense, but we knew people would be cautious, but to go as slow as they did and to be as careful as they did. And then the, the other piece of it was the, uh, you know, your resource constraint the whole time. You're looking for ammo. The exploration piece of it definitely took a lot longer, a lot more time in any given room than we would because we knew everything in the game. So it was just funny that, it turned out we had a, a perfectly decent-sized game. It took me ages to get through the whole game because I was exactly like that. I was just, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm yeah. going to die. Like, <laughs> yeah. Once Brett proved his abilities on Dead Space, his career began to flourish, and he was given the opportunity to helm many other projects as creative director. His next challenge? Oh, only arguably the world's most popular and well-known franchise. So what did you do after Dead Space? Modern Warfare 3, my first Call of Duty game I ever worked on. Uh, super exciting. The, you know, my whole team was so thrilled to be on that project. And it was just a massive game. The scale of it was bigger than anything I'd worked on in terms of the amount of people and the budget and everything and, and what a large audience it was going to reach. We all know Call of Duty is a whole different beast, even amongst other AAA video games. What was it like coming into such a massive team? And what were some of the important takeaways from that experience? Well, it was interesting because we partnered with Infinity Ward and they had just undergone a lot of uh, restructuring and drama because a lot of people had left. It was sort of an infamous lawsuit and all sorts of things happening with part of that team that would later become Respawn. Infinity Ward was sort of pulling itself back together. Sledgehammer came in. So we had to partner together and uh, learn to work together and figure out how we we're going to make this game. And we had a very tight schedule as well. So there's a lot of challenges to it. At the same time, I had to really become an expert very quickly on the whole franchise and everything that had come before and what it meant to make a Call of Duty game and, you know, all those things. And, and that was certainly challenging. So it had a lot of drama and, you know, difficult things going into it. But what I learned was just a talented team can do amazing things. If you really focus, if you really stick to the things you think are going to be great about the game and you really try to hold firm on those things and make them happen, 
man, we, yeah, we knocked it out of the park. So super proud of Infinity Ward and Sledgehammer on that project. It was great. It was just amazing. The biggest thing on that project was learning how to work with a huge team like that. I had worked on kind of, you know, pretty big teams before, but it was nothing like that, at least twice as big. So understanding how to do that effectively because you lose a lot of efficiency potentially when you're dealing with such a big group. How big of a group was it? Back then, and it's probably different now, but back then I think we had like 400 people working on it. Wow. Creative vision seems simple with a small group, but sustaining that idea across a large AAA team can be daunting. How do you stay true to your original vision? And how do you collaborate with such a large team? It's the hardest thing to do because you need to communicate that vision constantly out to everyone, but you don't necessarily have it all figured out either. It's not like you start day one and go, here's the vision. We're, you know, this is what we have to do. You might have some ideas, but it evolves over time. So I think the best projects are the ones where the team is involved in helping to, to solidify the vision or to make it better as the creative director or the game director, I might have certain pillars that I really want to be strong in the game and a direction I really want to go. But every single time it just gets better as more and more people add to it and we iterate on it and we throw out the things that aren't working and we start to just really do the work, it gets stronger. So yeah, with a big team like that, it was just a lot of communication, like making sure we were always communicating what we needed to do and prioritization, making sure we're doing the, the right thing in the right order. And then a lot of luck that we just kind of came together. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure every project you've ever worked on is unique, but are there any best practices you carry with you across every game? Broadly speaking, if you have the one or two things that you're really passionate about with that particular project, whatever it is, the one or two things that you just feel like this is so important that we get this right and you stick to that, that's the most important thing. Because I think projects get into a lot of trouble when the vision really swims around or is muddy or doesn't have a lot of passion behind it or a very clear focus. So for example, on Dead Space, original Dead Space, we had a few things that we absolutely wanted to do above anything else. I mean, obviously we wanted to make a horror game and make it really scary, but we wanted also to make it as immersive as possible. And that drive towards immersion led to a bunch of interesting design decisions, like the fact that there was no 2D HUD, that everything was immersive in the world, that we had holograms and in-world elements to convey everything you needed to know about how to play the game. That all came from a singular focus on immersion. Also, the fact that we didn't have cutscenes really, we had a single unbroken camera, the way that we see now in like the God of War games, they do that, but we did that 10 years earlier on Dead Space. So what was so challenging about the weapons and making them function that way? It was kind of a weird idea, this idea of having to cut off limbs and everything. Like, why do you need to do that? Why not just shoot them in the head like every other game? And we had to ask ourselves that, like, why is it better to have to do this 
sort of unusual thing. You know, I want to aim for the arms and legs, not for the chest or the heart. We had to first off make the weapons work for that. So you needed to be some kind of cutting planar weapons that could be good for that. And then what are the enemy's behaviors and why is a player reinforced to to do that? So we did tricks like, yeah, if you go for the headshot and blow the thing's head off, it would actually go berserk and, and come right at you. So, oh, don't do that. That's a bad idea. I learned that the hard way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Shoot it in the chest. It takes too many shots. But man, if I can knock its legs off, it, it's suddenly crawling and it's it's easier to kill. And it just became very iterative like that, just trying to solve that problem. But it was actually kind of a difficult problem to solve. And for a long time, I wasn't sure if it was even going to work or if we were just chasing something that was kind of not worth chasing. But once we got some enemies stood up and we got some of the weapons stood up and we really got all the different behaviors. And then there was a bunch of tech we had to get right with like the physics on the limbs and be able to knock them off and do all these transitions in the animations and everything that was actually pretty difficult at the time. Once that all started gelling, it really gave the game a lot of identity. And then we were like, oh yeah, this is going to be awesome. You've always strived to put storytelling at the forefront. Going back to the original journey of Isaac Clarke and Dead Space, what was it like bringing that world to life from scratch? It was a lot of fun. We actually worked with a couple of comic book writers at the time. There was a lot of meetings and discussions between myself and Glenn, who was the game director. We just kind of hit on a lot of ideas we thought were strong with the planet cracking idea. Mining has gotten so crazy in the future that you just you mine entire planets and rip them apart. And the idea of ripping apart a planet and finding a bunch of aliens inside of it was kind of a cool idea. The religious aspect with the, the church of unitology and everything just felt like a natural ad to make everything a little more creepy and to add some more layers and depth to the world. It was just kind of one layer after another. And one of the last layers we actually put into the game after we had really finished the story and then realized we needed something else was Isaac's girlfriend and the fact that she was on the ship and he was trying to find her and had this extra motivation, which led to some kind of interesting surprises later on in the story. We just realized that we needed some kind of emotional hook there as well to kind of drive him. It kind of came together in stages, a lot of different layers. I'm really proud of that story. I think it ended up working. Nine games in, Brett has been a part of many diverse teams with unique leadership and varied processes. Now for number 10, he's the head of the whole studio, the one accountable above all else, good or bad. So what have you learned along the way that helped shape your leadership style at Ascendant? Well, I think one of the main things is I always appreciated it when the leadership of whatever studio I was at was very direct and honest and transparent with everyone on the team. And I really didn't like it when that wasn't the case, or you felt like information was being withheld or you were being lied to. And I've had both experiences and I've had leaders that were very open with the team. I really wanted to try to be that guy as much as possible. It is kind of how I conduct my life anyway. I'm a terrible diplomat and a terrible liar. And I just sort of want to be able to tell the truth in my life and and do that with the team. So I think that was one of the main things was 
I was always going to be straight with everyone. We started a whole new company. So there's a lot of growing pains and uncertainty and all sorts of things that are happening along the way. And I wanted to always be upbeat and positive on everything because I generally feel that way, but just to be straight and honest with everyone and tell them how it's going and what the problems are and what the victories are. I've definitely conducted myself that way. I think the team appreciates it quite a bit. I think the other thing is just before I was a game director or a CEO, I was a developer like everyone else on the team. And so I kind of come at it from that perspective. What kind of leadership would I have liked more of when I was in the trenches more? And I want to do that. I want to always be very empathetic to what people might want, you know, in terms of a good work-life balance, in terms of being honest with them, opportunities for learning, advancing your skills, all that were things that were important to me when I was coming up. And I'd want to give that opportunity now to my team as much as I can. I feel very lucky. I feel like we've also just got an amazing team and we got very lucky in our hiring. A lot of the challenges we had over the pandemic and trying to keep everyone feeling like they were part of a group and a group identity it was hard with everyone scattered, but I think we did it pretty well. And I think people are now, they do feel like really invested in the company and in, and in the project, considering we all had to be remote for so long and it's pretty amazing we were able to get there. So I'm really happy about that. Few can become the head of a AAA game dev studio without some great mentors along the way. Who are your mentors and what guidance do they give you? I definitely feel like I learned a lot from the game directors that I worked under. A couple of directors that really stood out. One is definitely Glenn Schofield, who I spent a lot of time working with, made a lot of games with Glenn. He was and probably still is a great leader and someone who was genuine and would I felt be pretty honest with everyone and let them know what any situation was. And you felt like you're in it together. I had another director, uh, Neil Young at EA, and then we did Return of the King together. This is in back in 2002, 2003. What I learned, I think from Neil was how involved and knowledgeable he was about every single aspect of that project and of that game. And that he was just very, very on top of it and smart and knew a lot about what was going on. It wasn't the case of an executive who was sort of distant from the project. That was really interesting to see that you could be at the top of the organization, but really have a deep understanding of everything that was going on there. And it's hard, it's hard to do. That was really informative. And I would say formative for me to really take an effort to try to understand what everyone's dealing with and what the problems are in every single department because these games are huge there's like lots and lots of <laughs> really really difficult and technical problems that are constantly being solved and i saw him really dig into those in an amazing way so i take a lesson from that the world has completely changed since you started development four years ago what has going remote been like for you and the team it's weird because there's a lot of pluses and minuses to being remote. There were a lot of challenges during the pandemic. Process-wise, one of the good things about it 
was the you know sudden massive reliance on you know we use slack but what, whatever the communication systems are i felt like i went from at any given time focusing on two or three things at once back before the pandemic i might be sitting in a meeting dealing with one or two problems or three problems now i was at my desk part of 20 conversations that were going on at once and i could sort of see them participate in each of them in a very fluid way as if i was like literally sitting in 20 meetings at once you know because there was 20 different conversations going maybe it's not 20 but 10 a dozen maybe 20 and i could understand them understand what the issues were i could offer feedback i could be part of that conversation and that was different because i felt like before I would be much more focused on a few things at a time. That led to a bigger awareness of everything that was going on in the project at once. And I think everyone kind of felt that way because you know everyone's sort of included in those various conversations. So that was definitely a cool change. That's something I want to hold on to as we do start to get back into the office or when we do and, and people that want to be back in the office when, they're, when we're back in. Like I don't want to lose that connectivity that we had with each other you're working on a brand new original IP at your very own company. What's that like? Is it exciting, scary, awesome? This is the best time I've ever had making a game. Being able to run a studio, to have created, I'm not going to say created a game myself because it's the farthest thing from the truth, but to at least have initiated it and had a vision for a game that we are now putting into practice and creating and are finishing actually. It's been so awesome to be doing something original and not following the footsteps of someone else is also very rare, especially at the AAA level that we're doing it at. And it's a great opportunity. This is the best moment of my career by far. Before we wrapped up, we wanted to put Brett on the hot seat and get his instant answers in our lightning round. Okay, so first game. First game. Wow. Gex 2. Enter the Gecko. Ooh, awesome throwback. Multiplayer. Call of Duty Black Ops 2. Okay. Arcade. Ooh, arcade. Video Bobs. Arcade. In Tam Junction, where I worked used to make change for people and fix old stand-up cabinet games. <laughs> That's so cool. I want to ask you more about that, but first, mm -hmm. first sound effect. First sound effect. Wow. First sound effect was the, I remember so vividly, the chest bursting alien from the movie Alien, which I saw in the theater. Why my parents took me to see that in the theater when I was eight years old, I don't know. but. The sound of that thing ripping out of that dude's chest and screeching. Sure, let's call out the first one. Made uh, an impact. It maybe had a little bit of influence on Dead Space. <laughs> Just a smidge. Just a bit. <laughs> okay, character. Mm, character. First word that came to mind was honesty. I'm taking character to mean a person's character. Totally. Okay, next one is team. Team. Boy, the team is everything. Nothing happens without a great team. Okay, next one is optimization. Mm, optimization, pain in the ass, trying to get everything to be at frame rate and performant 
is a constant challenge. So yes, bane of my existence, optimization. <laughs> Next one is weapon. Weapon. Maybe because we're talking so much about dead space, what came to mind was my favorite weapon in dead space, which was this thing called the Ripper, which was a remote saw blade, like a magnetic saw blade that would go out. And I was just really proud of that weapon. I thought it was really interesting and crazy. I really liked that weapon. That was a lot of fun. Okay, last one. First person shooter. The game I'm working on now. Perfect answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very, very cool. Well, thank you so, 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 so much, Brett. Seriously, I really, really appreciate you taking the time. This was really fun. Yeah, you're welcome. This was awesome, Tess. Thank you. And uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Definitely. And I'm very excited for everyone to see what we have in store for them in the near future. Nearish. You and me both. Can't <laughs> wait. It's going to be awesome. Thank you for listening to our inaugural episode of Rise Above. We look forward to bringing you more insider conversations with game industry leaders. If you enjoyed the listen, we'd love for you to rate and review the show. It helps so much. Please subscribe for future episodes. Check out our website at ascendantstudios.com to keep up with the game we're making and find us on all the socials as Ascendant Studios. You can also sub to our newsletter, The Stand Up, to get bonus insights from the developers we talk to on this show and more. We'll be back early next year with a full season of episodes with insightful, one-of-a-kind conversations with some of the most experienced and successful game devs in the world. For now, this is Tess signing off. We hope you have a safe and happy holiday. See you in 2023.